Good to see all of you. Uh, it's been a blessing that we have enjoyed our time here with all of you, especially. Uh, you have a wonderful country, and uh, the parts that we've seen of it have been beautiful. Everybody we've met have been so gracious and so kind, and for that we thank you. Uh, well, this is, as has been said before, this is our first time here, and so uh, I've been in lots of different parts of the world, but uh, had not been to this particular place. We've tr I've taught in Trinidad, Tobago, which is your southernmost neighbor uh, to the south of the uh, islands and so on. So it's a, a great challenge to be uh, in places where the gospel is, is uh, doing a great job, but yet there's still work to be done. Uh, if we think that that missions only goes on someplace else other than your own hometown, you may have missed some points that God's word would have us to employ in this. So I, again, I want to thank you for it, and especially for Pastor Rob and Beth, the, the ministry we've had. We've, we knew each other a little bit in Dallas uh, at school. We all, the thing about seminary is, is that most, most people don't realize is that when you get there, you put your head down, you just keep going. You look to the side every so often to make sure that no one's died, and you just keep going to get through the coursework. And lo and behold, on graduation day, you finally look around and go, these are all the ones that made it. And you don't really look back to see the casualties that didn't quite yet. But we made it, and that was the great thing that we enjoyed. But since then, we have a fellowship that we enjoy, and because of that connection, down through the years. And uh, we first started the school together in 1982, so that was not that long ago, but long enough for some of you. And so it's been a great challenge to keep up with ministry throughout. Uh, he and his wife have moved to different places and ministered in different ways, as so have we. Uh, one of the most amazing things is that God has an interesting way of challenging us throughout life. I can remember as a young boy, I remember telling my mother, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a musician. She says, son, you can't do both. Think about it. You'll get it. You'll get it. When I grow up. So, yeah, see, it gets there. It gets there. I was going to use that with preaching, but it doesn't go over as well when you say that. So it's an amazing thing that we look at. What I want to look at this morning is, is sort of a challenge that we all have of looking at God's word and the way in which he prompts us to continue to do the work that's yet to be done. We have not reached the world for Christ. That's a given. We think if we've, you know, the idea is if you, if you tell three people and they tell three people and so on and so forth, it'll be done in a year. It doesn't work that way. There are challenges that we have throughout the world in places that do not welcome the cause of Christ. One of the things that we do at B World is we go into un, or unreached or also restricted access countries. They don't have access to it. So rather than trying to gather up as many people as we can that know the Lord and disciple him back in the States, we have decided to take the message of God's grace, but also the discipleship that he challenged us to, us to do on a daily basis, and go into these other countries. We started in 1979 into what we called Eastern Europe, or the Iron Curtain, and from there they clandestinely went into all those countries there and began to work with those who are, that are become believers, and those that want to be discipled and grow. And from that, we move, our organization moved to China, and then now to, to uh, not only Africa, 
but also the Middle East, to India, what we call South Asia, and all those countries are also into South America and other places as well. So God is challenging all of us as we look at these days. There's a lot of talk about these are the last days, these are the last days. In a sense, for some of us, these are the last days. But the idea is, is that we always should be fervent what God has placed before us, regardless of the urgency of our surroundings, because it's in those times where we have opportunity where we really need to push the most. We've decided that rather than wait until a a country closes completely and then try to get in, that we would try to go into places that are restricted so that we can establish the church there and allow it to flourish while we're may be restricted from that place in years to come. And that's serving true. Everyone knows the story of China when everyone was expelled during the Japanese invasion of World War II. Then under Mao, they all were expelled. And when the, when the church began to go back in, they thought when they looked at China, it would be completely barren. And instead what we found was a church that was flourishing. But the great news was it was flourishing not in our Western ways of doing things. It wasn't flourishing in the sense that it had great edifices. It wasn't flourishing in the sense that it had really nice colored robes. It wasn't any of those things. It was for the cause of Christ. They really had been working for him. In small groups, in families, in small remote places, God's word will find a way. And that's a challenge we all have as we go forward. I want to look at a passage this morning in Proverbs. If you have our Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. I want to challenge us all as we begin to look at the things that God has been doing and also remember that he uh, is always up to something. I'm reminded that I went in and I saw a postcard on a refrigerator door once and it said, remember God has something up his sleeve besides his everlasting arm. <laughs> Think about that. This is good advice. Remember there, whenever we're under pressure, whenever we're under threat, we're ever under stress. No matter how bleak our situation, God always has something up his sleeve. If you were to ask me when I was in high school, I became a believer after my freshman year in high school. Before then, we'll just leave that alone. Uh, I promised we wouldn't tell our children the bad things I did as a young man, as a youngster, because I didn't want to give them any ideas. Little did I know, guess what? They all come up with their own, don't they? They don't have to repeat our bad mistakes in order to learn. So what we discovered was is that God has a great way to move things. And so I was never looking forward to a full-time ministry, never in my wildest dreams. And I just shared last week when I went through homiletics in my senior year of Bible college, my professor said, Mr. Lewis, please sit down before you faint. To talk in front of people was absolutely scary and I would hyperventilate and nearly pass out. And so what changed that was this. The more I began to study God's word, the more I began to have confidence in his word, not in me. And the truth that needs to be given out was something that I now was challenged to give forth and it began to challenge me to stand up, brace my legs, don't faint, and just keep going. And who knew 40-something, 45 years later, I'd still be doing this. God certainly has a sense of humor. And I really never did grow up, so who knows? But I'm not a musician either, so I guess I did have to choose one or the other. 
So, but God has been gracious in all of his ways. And I just want to share some things as we just take a brief look at, at the challenge that we have yet before us in the unreached people. As I said last week, the unreached people are also your neighbor. They're also the people that you, that you know. There are people on your job sites. There are people in the schools where you go. There are people everywhere that are unreached. Sometimes because of our own fault. Sometimes because we've never shared with them. Think how sad it would be at the end if someone said, you know, I, I, I saw you do nice things, but I never knew why you did that. I just thought you were just a nice person. No, but you didn't tell me that part of the reason why you do nice things is because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So I just assumed you're just a good person. I'm reminded, how many have seen the movie Schindler's List? Anybody remember seeing that film? At the end of it, it has probably one of the most poignant parts of the entire film. At the end of it, when he realizes that he could have sold more things to buy out of the concentration camp, more of those Jews that were sentenced to death. He looked at his car and he says, well, if I had sold this car, I could have put that money toward these things that that many people could have been alive today. And he wept for that idea. And I don't want us to be that. Not that we didn't have money to use, but that we did not take the opportunity that God has given us to share with people around us. The reason for the hope that is within us is Jesus Christ. The hope within us is not because we have nice clothes, we go to a nice building, we have good pastors and good elders and teachers and deacons. It's because of the person of Jesus Christ. And that has to be on our lips and has to be in the way we look at life and has to be in the way in which we approach everything. If we are going to make a dent in the unreached people, because they're everywhere. How many, what percentage do you think of the Bahamas are those that know Jesus Christ as a one who gives everlasting life. An overwhelming majority? Probably not. Though there are a lot of people that may go to church, there are a lot of people who do spiritual things, and yet the cause of Christ is not furthered because we have not shared that name that should be on our lips. Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us, and offers us the free gift of everlasting life to those who simply believe in him. And based on his death and resurrection, he grants us everlasting life. And here's the neat part about that. How long does it last? It's built into the name, isn't it? Dr. Ryrie used to say, if it's not eternal or everlasting life, it's misnamed. Yet people say it's everlasting, yet they say there's some requirement you need to still fulfill in order to make it Real, true, sincere, whatever else it may be. If you've placed your faith, believed in him for the free gift of everlasting life, here's the clue. You have everlasting life. We'll look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It begins, and I'm reading from the New King James, it trusts in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in him with all your heart. I'm reminded that this idea of trust and courage reminds me of Daniel. How many know the story of Daniel, the prophet Daniel? An amazing man, wasn't he? What most people forget is that early on when he was a young man, he was, he was cap, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian army. He, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in that first encounter with, with Israel in Jerusalem in 605, conquered them and took their very best. 
and transported them to Babylon and began to use them in their government, in their way of doing things because they were the best, the brightest. You remember, if you had asked Daniel the year before, 605, and said, what do you think God has in store for you as a young man? I don't think he, in his wildest imagination, could have ever imagined that he would be taken captive into Babylon and put to some really extreme tests. We heard the testimony of what happened with our youth and the test that goes with that. This is a lot like that. And our world is facing that in a lot of different ways. But Daniel believed God and said, I trust him in this. And through those trials, he made an impact, didn't he? He changed the thinking of that king because he stood up. He had trust and courage. It's easy to say, if I, if I were in that spot, I would have done it this way. If I ever come under persecution, I'm going to stand up for Christ. Many people have said that, yet when it comes down to it, it's difficult to do. Well, you know, I've got to think of my family. What if I just denounce Christ with my lips to save my family? Somehow believing that God doesn't know about your family. Well, what I told you last week, prayer is not giving God information that if you didn't tell him, he wouldn't know. He knows all of these things. So Daniel was one who had to go through all of these things, held in captive, made an impact, became a trusted advisor to the king. Who would have thought that that would have been his occupational choice when he's filling out all those forms, graduating from high school to go to college? I want to be captured by the enemy and put into prison. Doesn't seem to be something that we all choose. But sometimes life chooses things for us. So for Daniel, he was one who, in a sense, was stepped up and stepped out. That's really our challenge today, to step up for what Christ has called us to and step out and do something. Many people sense that they should be doing something for Christ. And they may be very repentant that they haven't done it lately, but it doesn't get the fact that some things are not getting done because some people are not doing what God has called them to do. Even in adverse conditions like Daniel, he needed to look what it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then he says, the, the, Solomon says to his young son, if you will, in Proverbs, and it says, and lean not on your own understanding. Learning not to depend on our own strength. There are tasks that you do not know you're capable of doing until you do it. And the really odd thing, he doesn't give you peace about things that might happen or even things that will happen. He gives you strength during that which is happening. I tell the story that growing up, I would go deep sea fishing and other things at sea. And to be out in, out in the ocean in any way for any length of time, I was like, <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to make this. So I said before I joined the Navy, now that's kind of a foolish thing if you don't like the sea. Not as foolish as my father, he never learned how to swim. And in World War II, his ship was sunk. 
They were in the water 54 to 72 hours before they were rescued at the liberation of the Philippines in October 1944. But instead, as I got to that place in my, my third year being in the Navy, I was sent to sea for about 13 months. I never got seasick once. He didn't give me the peace before the occasion. He gave me the peace in the occasion. So what God has called you to do, Daniel would not have ever imagined he would have to face that. Yet he was able to do it because he had what we would call that trust and courage. Depending on not our own strength is a great example of Joshua. How many know the story of Joshua? Okay, Joshua was a great man. He was one of two of the 12 that went into the promised land when they first arrived there after leaving Egypt. What did all 12 of the spies say? I, you can answer. What are the circumstances in the promised land? Huh? Yeah, it, it's fantastic. We can, we can harvest and nobody, we didn't have to plant. They have grapes. You know, they have all these great things there for us. But what was the, what was the drawback? There'd be giants in the land. Did any of the 12 say, no, 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 there aren't giants? None of them said that. All of them said the same thing. There, were no, there was no difference in all of the facts of the situation. Ten of, the, ten of those spies representing ten of those tribes, what was their response to that news as they heard it? It's insurmountable. We cannot do that. We don't have the strength. We are, if you will, brick makers. We used to be farmers, but after 400 plus years, we've been doing a great job of making brick. Now, and there's not enough things here to make brick in time to knock those guys out, so we don't know what else to do. Yet two of them, Joshua and Caleb, what did they say? God is with us. Now, wasn't God with the other 10? Well, sure. But where was their focus on their own strength? If you look at your own strength, it never compares with the enemy. Our enemy has a way of diffusing us and making us ineffective by pointing out our inadequacies. I can't do that. In a sense, what God is whispering in our ears, you're right, you can't. But I can. I am not only able, but I will. What makes God tremendous over all other things in life is he not only has the ability to keep his promises, but he chooses to keep his promises. He not only has the ability to bring you through what he's called you to, but he will choose to do it. That's what Joshua learned. And over and over he had to learn this. Now, he, they come across the river, they cross the Jordan, and they come across on dry land. Why did they build a memorial in the middle of it, then they moved it to the shore? Why did they build a memorial 
to commemorate that occasion. Couldn't everybody that went through remember they just went through? All memorials are not built for the people who do it. What are they built for? The next generation. Kid says, Mom, Dad, what's that about? Glad you asked. Let me tell you what God has been doing. Really? What was it like? Let me tell you. All memorials are built not for those who lived through it or in it, but for the next generation. What are we doing as a people? So they get through the Jordan River and they come to the city of Jericho. How many of you have ever been to Jericho? It's one of the world's oldest extant city that still exists in the world. And when you arrive there, it's not much. Now, I have to say, just after we were there the last time, they built a casino there. Now, that really makes it special. (laughs) I've always said gambling is what we call tax on the stupid. Just give them, give them money away. I mean, just giving it away. If you like to watch that money go by, they have a way to make you really enjoy it. And they've got lights and bells and whistles and everything possible. Arrived at Jericho, and God gave them the dumbest instructions I've ever heard. March around the city, because it had a great wall. And on that wall were buildings built along the wall. He marched around that and did exactly what God said. Now, I cannot imagine being one of those in the, in the city there, marching with it, going, excuse me, now why are we doing this again? Excuse me, this is, uh, I, I don't see, unless we like march in unison and cause some kind of, some kind of disturbance, one of the things I, we learned in the Navy, when, we were, when you're in basic training and boot camp, you march everywhere. You don't go anywhere any other way. You march, and you march, and you march. And you learn how to do it in your sleep. I remember one time waking up into a march, going, where am I? It just becomes automatic. But when we go across a bridge, we're told, break cadence. Because if you go across in unison, it will create a vibration. So maybe that's what they thought as they went around the city. But instead, what did God do to make that possible? Only he knows. Must have been some kind of trumpet call that brings down those walls. And we love singing, bring down those walls, bring down those walls. That was a God thing, not a trumpet thing. But he did it so that they would have nowhere else to point to as their deliverer than him. They could not say. Now, when you read other people's account of that passage, well, I think what it was is that the Ark of the Covenant had some great acoustic value that when you put the trumpet through that, it amplifies it so powerful that it blows the walls down. To that, and I think part of it, some of, the, some of the Israelis did believe that. That's why they began to take sort of a superstitious idea about the Ark of the Covenant. But it had nothing to do with any of the above. It was purely on a matter of God's marvelous grace. I'm always reminded of the little boy that goes to Sunday school, comes home after Sunday school, and the mom says, well, what did you learn today? He says, mom, you wouldn't believe it. We, we heard today about 
the people of Israel leaving Egypt and coming to the Red Sea, and they were able to build this giant bridge. And as they built this bridge, the the aircraft and the jet fighters were coming over, and God protected them through all of this, and they made it to the other side. Now, Mother looks puzzled and says, son, are you sure that's what they said? said, mom, if I told you what they said, you'd never believe that. (laughs) That's Jericho. That's Jericho. Jericho is not a matter of acoustic dynamics. It's a matter of God's intervention. It's a matter of it doing and depending on God's strength, not ours. All the way through the Old Testament, God is continually reminding them, I delivered you. You didn't do it yourself. You didn't do it. I did it. And I want you to know, if you have seen me work in the past, you'll trust me more in the future. But isn't that true? The more I see him answering that prayer, the more I see him delivering this situation, when the next one comes up, I'm less apt to go, there's no way this is going to work. Instead, it's going to be, wow, God may do this. That's the idea that Joshua learned as he learned not to lean on his own understanding. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. What we understand as persons What makes you, you, is nothing to do with your exterior. Now we try to keep it as best we can. Gotta work on a few things there. But your identity is who you are and it's unseen. That's that's the real you. No, wait a minute, if I can't see it, I can't believe that. If we look at all things through that model, we will miss some of the greatest things in the world. The love of a spouse. Now, can you quantify that? Can you measure it? Can you get its length, its width, its depth, its weight? No. Is it real? Oh, yeah. The love of people for one another in unity, we talked about last week. Is that something that we can see, measure? Now, we can in some ways see a result as it impacts people's lives, but not necessarily in the way in which we think. Daniel had a sense of stepping up to his circumstances and stepping out on faith. Joshua had to learn how to step up and step out for God. In the midst of great criticism, 10 out of 12 said, no way. So they wandered around for how long? Think about it, 40 years and your GPS is saying, rerouting, 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 and rerouting. But when they finally went in, they were trusting God. Because they stepped up, stepped out. The third one is, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path or make your path straight. I think of Joseph. Why was Joseph so loved by his father? Was there anything intrinsically special about Joseph? Why did his father love, why did Jacob love Joseph so much? Who was Joseph's mother? Rachel. 
just thinking about her, Jacob would go, wow, that's Rachel. Who did he marry first? Leah. Leah. I've always imagined that when those two were little girls, the mother said, you two are going to have to learn how to share. (laughs) Really? He did not love Leah, but he really, really, he worked twice as hard to win the hand of Rachel. Joseph was favorite, and, and his younger brother Benjamin, of course, but Joseph was it. How did Jacob display that favoritism toward Joseph? Can you imagine? All of the brothers got hand-me-downs. Joseph struts out in a Neiman Marcus. Hey, dude, look at what dad gave me. Those brothers were not happy with Joseph, were they? So what did they plan to do? Some of them said, let's just kill him. And that's, pretty, that's a pretty hard thing for a family to say. But instead, they put him in a pit. Excuse me, they put him in a pit and eventually sold him. Told his father that he was killed. His father going through that grieving process, which really never ends for the loss of a child. Going through all that, and then God takes him into a place that his brothers all thought was his doom. His path was already set. His path would be to destruction. Instead, what did God do? Took Joseph into a situation that actually delivered all of Egypt and all of his own family from a famine by God's design. His If you would have said, Joseph, what path would you like to take to make those dreams that you dreamed about come true? How would you do that? Where all the the haystacks, where all the grain was bowing down to you, how would you think that's going to happen? I'd have no way of ever believing that he would have said, I think I'm going to be a captive in Egypt. His path didn't didn't look promising. Do you ever notice that when you put your lights on in your automobile at night, it doesn't light up the destination? I know, it's weird, huh? You probably thought, what does this guy think about half the time? Don't ask. Don't ask. But it doesn't light up the whole destination. It lights up just enough to go safely. Unless you have a lot of mud, you got to clean it off like we do in the snow. And then, it, and then you're trying, like through a mirror dimly. You can't see anything. But the idea is, is that it gives you just enough light to get you the safe distance forward. Here's the thing. You may not have a lot of mountainous regions to drive through, but you still have a lot of road hazards to get through, don't you? And most of them are just people driving other cars. Potholes are like those, are like those characteristics in the diamonds. We used to call flaws. No, that's what makes that diamond unique. You have unique roads, <laughs> right? I'm just saying. So we have to look at it as God's direction is what he asks of us, and he will provide sufficiently for it. If you have a heart to reach the unreached, there's something that you can do. Not necessarily go there, 
though we've had the privilege of going many places, not all places, my goodness. I have friends that travel 10 times more than I do. But yet God has given us a sufficient path to take. And all of us ought to be willing to step up and step out for him to take it seriously. There are, as we said last week, there are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, next door that don't know Christ. What does it take to say something? Maybe they think you're one of the kindest people on the planet. Maybe they think you're one of the nicest people that that always looks out for your neighbors. Maybe they know all those things, but you've never shared with them it's because of Jesus Christ that you do this. That is stepping up and stepping out for Christ. We go through all of life's problems We have to remember that he plans to cover every detail, every need, every problem in life. Nothing is a surprise to him. Yet we are always surprised. God has brought through great groups, individuals, and locations to his glory. But he tells us here. You notice it doesn't say he's got, uh, have you ever been, not you probably haven't, but in, in the U.S. we have this one highway that goes through Alaska. It is like 1,200 miles long. It doesn't vary hardly at all. It's just straight, straight road. Because it's straight, does that mean it's easy? No. If it's curved and treacherous, does that mean it's always gonna be hard? No. What we look at is not the way God looks at circumstance. When we are the ones that are going through, he has made this path just for us. Well, Lord, here am I, Lord, I'm willing to go, but take Bill. He really needs to go on a mission field. He needs to talk to his neighbor, and maybe his neighbor will talk to his neighbor, and maybe they'll eventually talk to my neighbor. Doesn't work that way. Your neighbors may be your mission field that only you can reach. I tell students, as a pastor, people expect you to do things certain ways. It's when the unexpected comes, when the average believer begins to do that, which God has called him to do, that makes a difference in our world. We have a responsibility in leadership, but we also have a responsibility in equipping people to be prepared to do what God has called them to do. We need to step up and step out. There's a story told of a man who was the... uh, who was an insurance salesman down on, and, and he had a part of Memphis that we call Beale Street. Everybody heard of Beale Street? Some of the best music and the best food in the world is on Beale Street. I, I know, I've been there. So the idea is, is that he said he, go, he would go to churches late because he wanted to sit in the back and he sold insurance. So he would, and the best people to buy insurance are Christians. They're the ones most worried about dying. And this was his words, not mine. So he sits back there. He comes in and he sits next to a guy on the end named Fred. He sits there. And so as, as the service is going, the pastor gives the invitation. And the guy next to him, Fred, says, well, do you mind? I need to get out. 
So they're standing there, and this man steps aside. Bill goes forward, and all of a sudden, under conviction, this man goes forward and believes in Jesus Christ. The next week, someone says, well, how did you become a believer? He says, you have to get to this church late and sit next to a guy named Bill. Because he'll step out of the way and give you room, and you'll get saved. Stepping up and stepping out. That's what he did. He became known as the preacher of Bourbons, of Beale Street, and uh, did a great ministry there for many years. But the idea is that God has a plan, and he wants us to be willing to follow it as he directs, but he doesn't give us every detail of that plan. My wife tells a story that when we were dating, and as we went into, in, in, I was in the military, my, I thought my future was this direction. She will tell you, it wasn't even close to that direction. God took us this direction. Now, if she could have said, you know, you kind of gave the implication that you're going to have something steady. You're going to have a job that's going to have a good pay and possibly a good retirement. She didn't say that. Now, she may have thought that, bless her heart. But she stayed with it. And it has been... Would you say adventurous? I'm just saying. God had something up his sleeve, and I didn't know what it was. God brought us to the place where we are. I would never in my wildest imagination ever thought I would have the ability or have the opportunity to do all the things that God has blessed us with. Much less even today to meet all of you. I've got a chance to get to know a few of you, and it's been fantastic. I wish we could stay here longer. Uh, well, well, it's debatable whether you feel that way, but I wouldn't mind it. And not, not because of the things that most people think about. This is really the people of the Bahamas here in the community, not where we stay over and visit over on the other that little piece of land over there where everybody looks interesting. Some even wear clothes. <laughs> Never seen so much of all that in my life. Yet, this is, where, this is where people are. You have a heart for the Bahamas. You have a heart for the Norwegians, and God desires it. I'm looking at the clock, and I realize now I only have an hour and a half to go. <laughs> he said it's not set, but I think he's just kidding me. That's what I would ask. You never know. We have good times and we have bad times. We have great experiences and we have tragic experiences. When you've ever asked, why do I have to go through this tragedy? Sometimes the answer may be so that you might minister to somebody else when they go through that tragedy. When we teach our young men and women when they're at funerals, the one thing we never want them to say is, I know how you feel. We don't. We do not ever say we know what someone else feels. I tell them, I cannot imagine the loss you're feeling. And every time I do a funeral, and I've done probably about 100 overall, and I've done only about maybe 80 weddings. So every time I do a funeral, I'm amazed at how short life is. <clears throat> My first funeral as a young pastor was a little girl that was probably about two and a half. 
somewhere in that vicinity. Same age as my daughter, actually, at the time. My daughter's 43 now, so it's been a while. And so I remember standing there, and I barely made it through that with that little casket there. I've also done funerals for a dear saint, a dear, dear friend, uh, a German woman from North Dakota. And uh, she was 97. But I'm always surprised on how short life is. So if we want to make our lives count, if we want to reach the unreached, they are all around us. You don't have to get a passport. You don't have to get a visa in other countries. You can reach the people around you. And from what I, you have shared with me and what we've talked about, this country is still in need of a savior. Amen. Right? Amen. All of us know that. Not in a condescending way, but in a way that's honest. We have people in trouble. We have people that have needs, but the greatest need they'll ever have is Jesus Christ. We're not looking for church membership for them to bring them over. We are looking for people who need the Savior and share his amazing, amazing grace. So the question comes up as we finish. Are we stepping up? And if we are, are we stepping out? Sometimes we stand up and we just freeze. That's what my homiletics professor said I did. I just freeze. What made it worse was the young man who preached before me in that class seemed like every time was from England. Our professor said, Brother Roland could read the telephone book and people would be saved because he did it so eloquently. And then comes up this man, young man, me, it's like, <laughs> God is really humorous, trust me. But he wants us not to be just baffled by it. He's infinite, we're finite. He allows us to go through things to improve us, not to break us. Until people, God tests us the way that Ford tests Fords, not the way Fords test Chevys. It's looking to improve, not to tear apart. God wants us to do better. So when we step up and step out for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us, that your word is always true, that we can follow the examples of those like Daniel, like those of Joshua, like those of Joseph, and we know that you will lead us into paths that we could have never planned, we could have never put ahead of us, we could never trust in our plans, but yet, Lord, you have delivered us in ways that absolutely astound us. Because we are finite, you are infinite. Give us the courage to step up. But more than that, the courage to step out for you. Where it counts. Where our world will notice. Because we trust you and we know you as the one that gave us life. Pray for that same thing for others in this community. And to Providence. And all the other Islands that make up the Bahamas. You have a heart for the Bahamas. Help us too as well. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.